This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 44 and tonight's feature film is Bong Joon-ho's mother. Um, and tonight we'll obviously be uh, celebrating the work of the first Korean Best Director winner. But- and uh, obviously discussing its impact that it uh, has on Asian cinema and what hopefully the future holds. But uh, before we obviously get into all that, we have got to obviously ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, I mean, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest? Well, firstly, I've got to fess up and say in the last episode, I said there was no chance Parasite would win anything, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like such an it seemed like such an outside uh, chance and I think it was because Roma was sort of like oh Roma's going to win best picture and it's going to going to do it and then obviously it just won best foreign picture and Parasite didn't seem like it when you held it up to everything else that was sort of in the running like Joker and um, um, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and just these these real big uh, sort of Hollywood pictures it just seemed like it wasn't going to be the sort of film that would do it. I mean, yes, it obviously had a lot of praise and had the right sort of buzz behind it, but it, at the same time, it didn't feel like anyone was sort of pushing it as this, like, oh, this is going to be the film that wins it. So Yeah, I mean, there was, there was some sort of, sort of... The week before, there was some strange things going on. I mean, let, let's not pretend otherwise. That film was... A lot of money went behind um, pushing that film towards an Oscar nom. I'm pretty certain the South Korean government probably did, as as they want to do. Um, yeah. Bong Joon-ho was on every single um, chat show, um, really out there. They did the black and white version. Um, and I just noticed a whole bunch of articles turning up at certain sites, like the BBC, like the CNN, you know, sort of not, not, not film sites, but, but mass media sites, praising Parasite the week before so whilst I'm absolutely delighted that that it's won um, I, I, you always have to be careful the Oscars because you know that it's a big lot of shilling and <laughs> and things like that but you know it's great it's got up President Trump's nose so even better um, <laughs> so. yeah I mean I intentionally didn't if not posting anything like on the Facebook group or like a noise out there because it, it, you know it's a sort of arsehole move that you know he wants people to acknowledge it's all like oh a Korean film won best Oscar I'm going to say something stupid about it and I mean it's just on a different level I mean yes I understand the people out there who don't like it and I mean you can't obviously like every movie that's out there and certainly when we look at the best picture winners of previous years there's a lot of films which I felt haven't deserved it such as you know Moonlight how did Moonlight win over La La Land for example um, how did we need to talk about Kevin not getting a nomination, much like Tilda Swindon for that film not getting a Best Actress nomination? It, there's many times that you sort of question it. And Crash, obviously being the huge standout one that everyone loved until they realised, oh wait, that's what it's about, <laughs> and then just suddenly turned on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I take all the oh, I take all award ceremonies with a pinch of salt, but it's mm. really important. But it, it feels like the, you know, it feels like the completion of that. Korean wave that I always talk about, the Hallyu, you know, they've um, they've taken over pop music, they've taken over 
drama certainly in in the eastern world and now they've um they've won at the top table in cinema and not just with the best picture but with the best director as well which is um which is far beyond anyone's greatest expectations although i do think it was a fairly weak year for films that were nominated um i'm no fan of once upon a time in hollywood <laughs> um okay. I, don't, I don't think it's anywhere near the director's best work i thought 1917 was oscar bait i thought i really love jojo rabbit but was it an oscar winning film you know it was it was all a bit mare around really so Par- parasite's good don't get me wrong as i've been saying for the last three episodes you know it's a really good film but um i think i think lots of uh, things aligned anyway that's not what I've been doing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I have been, um, I've been watching a South Korean documentary, um, which we don't really talk about documentaries much on here. Um, there's a couple maybe I'll bring to the show one day if we're still going about 20 years time. Um, it's a film by a director <laughs> called Im Hung Soon. It's called Factory Complex. And it's a, about i guess the exploitation of of female workers um initially at least in south korea so one of the things we sort of talk around quite often is how south korea or korea and then south korea became industrialized very late on in world history um it was it was a closed society and didn't go through like the industrial revolution or anything like that um and was was apart from maybe other great sort of innovations in in the arabian world in the chinese world um until the mid was well, already sort of the post post 1945 really after the japanese were kicked out at the end of world war two um it went through a process of rapid industrialization which meant everything that Dickens wrote about was happening in South Korea. So sort of sweatshops, factories, um, all those big brands that we know about like Daewoo and Samsung and LG are pretty much based on sweatshops, slave labor and, and, and women. And of course, South Korea, as again, as I say, being a Confucian society, a patriarchal society, um, working conditions, etc., aren't good, which is why I draw the, uh, the Victorian illusions there. And basically this is a documentary that initially is looking at the place of women and how they're abused and sometimes literally abused in the workplace during the 70s and 80s, sort of during the, uh, the full industrialization of South Korea. And then drawing some allusions both to what's going on in Cambodia, which I guess is the new sweatshop of the world, and uh, sort of young ladies there that are going through everything these terrible things that that these women in south korea went through today and then just drawing a conclusion to the woman's place in the workplace in modern day south korea so what telephone you know um hot desk what they call call center operators have to go through what um (laughs) what i know i've been in the call center like system twice so i know exactly what the call center is like. i mean and then they have to put up with all kinds of things that maybe we don't have to put up with um you know people phoning up saying are you masturbating now i'm trying to send you insurance and (laughs) um and uh sort of cabin crew that those kind of those kind of jobs which are in korea sort of mostly female-centric jobs and they're still getting um 
getting put upon. So it's it's, it's a very depressing documentary. Um, I about to say, this sounds like a real laugh right you're promoting here, Steve. So. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, stylistically, it's kind of interesting. mostly it's talking heads. Um, so you know, people who are who went through this and telling their stories, or going through it now and telling their stories, mm. interspersed with. Um, uh, hard to explain, really. Either sort of pictures of nature, or um, really quite surreal images, um, which are obviously very metaphorical, very symbolic. Um, but there's, there's, it's quite jarring. But it's a really good documentary. Um, won loads of awards. From, uh, when's it from? 2015. So it won like the Silver Lion at the Venice Film Festival and a few other things. Um, but you don't like say we don't really talk about documentaries and obviously being as I'm fascinated by history and by sociology, this was right up my alley. It makes a real interesting comparison. The last documentary I brought to the show being I am fist and Kung Fu kicks, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the history of the history of the Kung Fu movie. And uh, you're obviously bringing this history of the Korean social system uh, to the show. So, yeah, that's certainly an interesting comparison, for sure. Well, you know, we, we, we each bring our special thing to the table, don't we? Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, well, something I, would, I wouldn't say a little lighter, but I'm sure it could probably be taken either way. But uh, over on Movies and Tea, we're obviously doing our Ang Lee season at the moment. We're just about wrapping up uh, the production for our fourth season, which, uh, as I said, has all been about re-evaluating the Ang Lee filmography. So... Since the last episode, I came to finally watch The Lost Caution, which is another of his foreign language films. Um, uh, this one obviously being a period drama as well. And I don't know about your system, but I just I don't know why Ang Lee doesn't make more foreign language films. Or I think that's the best way of obviously describing them when you look at films such as like, you know, The Father Knows Best trilogy and Crash Tiger and Dragon. And then again with uh, Lost Caution, which, if you haven't seen it, because it seems to have been one of those films that sort of like appeared and made a huge fuss in like the critics sort of circles especially, and then just disappeared. Um, really worth checking out. This is an absolutely wonderful period drama. Uh, it's actually a period erotic espionage thriller, to be more precise. And here uh, we have a group of students who decide that putting on plays and, you know, promoting social causes isn't enough so they decide to assassinate a high-ranking uh, Chinese official and this in turn sees sets up the sort of the first half of the story with some of these characters reuniting to essentially carry out the same plot but this time with the help of the resistance and uh, in particular this features an absolute wonderful performance by uh, Tang Wei who, for her efforts, managed to get herself blacklisted for about five years uh, for making films in Hong Kong. So she ended up coming over to the UK and studying acting over in Reading, which I believe is over by yourself, Stephen. That's where I'm based. Never never bumped into her. So, <laughs> Oh, well, that's your missed opportunity, though, Stephen. But no, if you uh, haven't seen uh, Lost Caution, I highly recommend it. It's... Uh, two and a half hours but it just absolutely flies by and just features some absolute summary stunning and sumptuous cinematography and costume design it's just a really incredibly gripping espionage thriller and just how these character the sort of relationship these characters have for each other and how everything sort of hinges upon this honeypot 
um, plot that the students are hatching. And it's just, as I said, it's just without giving too much of the film away, because I think it really sort of benefits that you go in as blind as possible and don't have too many of the twists and turns given away. But I think this is just like a real hidden gem of Ang Lee's uh, filmography, much like The Wedding Banquet, which was a film I rented from Amazon and watched like four times in one weekend, which I think I've only done with Repo Man recently. Uh, I've had that sort of old school rental obsession with it so i've definitely uh checked that out and i believe you've seen lost caution already right, i have and i've got to be honest i wasn't taken by it at all oh, right. but i wonder if i need to revisit it because it's everything in a film i should love especially that kind of 20th century period china that it evokes um similar to films like shanghai um oh, there's a horror film about it's called the wedding dress or something like that which which all invoke this kind of war years um aesthetic of east meets west occidental meets oriental kind of thing which it very much has um it's got big tony in it hasn't it there's little tony little tony little tony little tony's (laughs) in it um tang wei is fantastic actress um and yeah it's a shame her career sort of went on hiatus for was it five years um, because she was blacklisted for the nudity and maybe what was the content of the film. So I, th- I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always on the fence with Ang Lee. I always, I, he's, he's clearly a great filmmaker and has around him incredibly adept technical people. But I often wonder if he ever makes great films <laughs> um, or has done since going to the west on the other hand he's got to be the most successful foreign director who works in hollywood by a country mile and i guess that's why he doesn't do more and we're going to say foreign language films but his own language films is because yeah he can make films in hollywood and and with the budgets and the resources and the talent that's available to him i guess why would he go back to taiwan or to um, mainland China to make make a film where where he won't get the budget and as Lust Caution showed he is somewhat limited in what you can do um, there's lots of rules and things that the, uh, the Chinese uh, Communist Party put around films in terms of content whether it be no nudity whether it be no ghosts um, whether it be no criticism of the political state so I guess that that must be um, that must be rather limiting for him. So yeah, I, I guess I guess his success has meant that um, he goes and makes lots of okay films over in America. He he certainly has. I mean, it only seems to be a downward spiral when we look at the Ang Lee filmography of where he's gone. Um, I think like Brokeback Mountain is sort of like the last high peak. Um, Certainly, I mean, people are obviously going to come and argue with me now in the comments section that, you know, Life of Pi is a wonderful film, but yeah, <laughs> it, it certainly wasn't for myself. And I think it's maybe because it was always on when I was working in the call centre, it just seemed to always be on this bloody film. And um, I mean, it's, it's, a, I was... it's, it, it, it's a clever, it, it's a, it does the 3D very well. Yeah, it's it's one of those films which was made for 3D and it does it very well. Um, and this is this is the kind of thing about Ang Lee. He's a very good director of film. I know that sounds obvious for me. <laughs> that, uh, um, I'm thinking of his Incredible Hulk that he did. 
which oh, ends God. in a you know the second half of it's absolutely abysmal but he starts off the film and he's doing smart stuff with comic book panels and things like that and you think yeah this is this is this is really clever and then he gives up after about 15 minutes and it becomes dreadful um uh and, and then a lot of the material he tends to adapt are not incredibly gripping to me um but i can see you know i can see he can of course he can handle a camera and can handle great actors and can and has has technical people around him who are fantastic um it's just i'm 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 not convinced and this isn't a great sales pitch for your uh, fourth season of movies and tea <laughs> i'm not convinced i would go and see an ang lee film if it was on at the cinema because it was ang lee I know what you mean. He's sort of like he's not one of those directors. He's not like a Tarantino, a Fincher, or a Sofia Coppola, or even a, like a Guillermo del Toro, where it's sort of like a new film with them's coming out. It's like, oh, I have to see this. It's like Wes Anderson dropped the trailer this week for his new film. Uh, I think it's The French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. I want to say something like that. Yeah. And like instantly, it was sort of like, here, take my money. I want to go and see what you're you're doing. But it's sort of like Ang Lee's got a new movie, and it's sort of like, ah. Oh, I might go and see it. Might wait for it to fill through. And he just—he's not one of those directors who sort of inspires me to like hunt down and watch everything in his filmography. And I think we're going to come back to this this again when we talk about uh, Bon Joon Ho when the uh, when we get onto our featured selection for this evening. Are we now? Um, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's it's. I, I think of him like many modern. Chi- I mean, he's from Taiwan, but like many modern Chinese directors, I can see the quality, but I'm not always entertained. Um, whereas, maybe looking at sort of the big names of South Korean cinema, I will go and check them out. Obviously, not at the cinema, but you know, however, however I can do it, and I will. Although that's probably going to change for a little while. <laughs> um, you know, Park Chan Wook has a film out, or um, uh, Kim Jin Hee, or, or um, Bong Joon Ho has a film. Out. I will check it out. With an angle, or even even mate, even John Woo, right? <laughs> I'd I'd I'd, oh, I'd, I'd see, be I'd be at least interested to check it out, and I just don't feel the same about You know that John Woo is going to give you something that is going to both stimulate you on so many levels not only like on your visual part of your brain but also on you know the deep complex plotting part of appreciating part of your brain as well it's just like covers a wide range as we film so we obviously saw when we looked at the killer and we certainly enjoyed the complex plotting of that film and uh yeah the emotional content of that story projected yeah everyone go back and listen to that episode <laughs> but you know I, I i think you know even a bad john woo has got something about it yeah I'm, I haven't seen the crossing part one and two, but I assume it has. <laughs> I assume it's got something in it. Um, and the other thing about Ang Lee is I'm not really sure what sort of director he is. You know, I, I, do you know what I mean? I, he, he, does, he doesn't really sit in any genre, which is fine, but he doesn't really seem to sit in any genre, which is weird. <laughs> he sort of belongs with all these... when. Um... He sort of belongs with British directors in the way that he promotes and 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 talks about film. When we like look at someone like as again, I'm bringing back my same examples here. When we look at like Fincher and Coppola and even like Tarantino, we see like this the on set set shots and everything's like really interesting, like all the production shots and stuff. And we see like an Ang Lee movie and it's just like doesn't look 
like the most exciting thing. And certainly when he talks about film and, and that, it's always in such a dry and serious manner. Like when you hear like um, the director of Les Mis and Cats mm. <laughs> talk about like his early student film, it's like, oh, me and my brother, we had this bomber jacket and suddenly I'm projected World War II airfields. And it's like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> um, and then we look at Tantino, he's sort of like, yeah, I made my best friend's birthday. And it's about this guy and he, his friend wants to throw him a birthday party and I get him a hooker and the hooker's John beats me up and all these things go wrong. And it's like, wow, that sounds like a really interesting film. Um, I think I, I know I, which of these movies I'm going to see. I think what is he lacks an edge. He's like, um, he's like Tesco's finest. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> it's absolutely fine goods mm. that you buy every week, but they're not something that you necessarily throw out at your dinner party. You know, I, I yeah. just uh, any, anyway. Maybe we spoke too much about Ang Lee. You're probably okay. going to go and tell me next week we're looking at <laughs> next episode we're looking at Crouching Tiger and I'll have to say this all again. <laughs> um, okay, exciting kaiju news though since last episode. We have got news that the Godzilla is get, finally getting a Monopoly edition which as yet has not got a UK release date but we are still checking for that but surely that's going to be like the one novelty edition of like Monopoly that you actually need not like the seven editions that Star Wars have put out for Monopoly alright I have to admit I am kind of tempted by that <laughs> I I can't bloody stand Monopoly <laughs> as a game I think it's terrible <laughs> but um, the story behind Monopoly that's fascinating the game itself is boring um, yeah but yeah, I gotta confess, if the uh, if the little metal figures are good, then uh, and, and there's some amusement in the names and stuff. I think I would, uh, I'd certainly have it on my bookshelf. Yeah, I mean, you obviously all the 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 fi- figures are going to be based on popular kaiju from the series, so you can always be Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla and King Ghidorah, and instead of building hotels and um, you build like bases. <laughs> So you build facilities and bases, and uh, so far the the confirmed tokens that you're going to have is Mothra Godzilla, King Ghidorah, and Mecha Godzilla. Hopefully, there's going to have Anglus, and my wife really wants Baby Godzilla because she's weird like that. Um, and you're going to have trading locations like Monster Island, Goro's Workshop, Kita Kami Lake. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be it'd be really really cool uh, set to have. So. I'm very excited about that. Much like the finally confirmed Gamera box set, which went on to pre-order as of Friday and uh, was formed by the mass tapping of keys on my side as I tried to pre-order the thing uh, to the point where we were supposed to be leaving for to take the kids to the kids club and we may have been about 15 minutes late because I was too busy arguing with Zavi to get it ordered. So, Ah, uh, so, yeah, um... I I'd missed that. Maybe I should. <laughs> Although it's not my favourite gamma, is it? It's all of them. Is it? Is it all of them? Oh, it's every single gamma that we're going to we're going to have. It's um, going to feature a hundred and twenty page hardback comic, an eighty page book. Um, we've uh, so you you get like a whole really nice set that Arrow putting out here so we're going to get all 12 original Japanese versions of the films and they're all going to be uncut which is a really important thing because all the versions that come across now have often been cut in some way so the fact we're getting everything uncut is going to be fantastic you're going to get the 
uh, 4K restorations of the Heisei trilogy, which is Gamma Guard in the Universe, Attack Elysian, and Revenge of Virus, which we obviously covered, uh, I want to say, not last <laughs> Christmas, but the Christmas before. Uh, Life moves quick. <laughs> I know there's uh, obviously going to be usual archive bonus comment, including commentaries by one August Ragone, which uh, he didn't turn up in the Criterion Godzilla set, which we were very dismayed about. So it's great that he's actually in the Gamera set. And part of me really wants him to include the Shout Factory introductions he did for their marathon, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, but yeah, you're going to get a comic book in there. You're also going to get the 80 pound, 80 page uh, book which gives her a complete retrospective on the series, including Kaiju X-Ray illustrations as well. So that's uh, going to be really a really, really nice set. And currently it's just over 100 if you get in the early bed. £110. It's going to be 150 quid though at the uh, when it, when it gets released. And it's going to be more than that once it sells out. Although what, you know, what I will say is I'm glad if Arrow's doing it, it will be a top set. You know they're, yeah. they're really good in terms of the prints they have and in just the extras in general um yeah when's it actually due out uh and it's coming july. july right hmm maybe <laughs> so you know you've got time to work in the troll sl- troll stripping and <laughs> wash some cars mow your neighbor's lawn yeah 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 obviously i save money by not buying the one miss call trilogy so you know that's 25 quid i know <laughs> and so i mean I, we say this but there's been like a host of announcements being made by like third window films who've announced that they're going to be releasing violence voyager which we uh discussed way back on our uh, forest of love episode and um the female prisoner scorpion box set has also been re-released by arrow so i can finally get that um, and we also got um, Akeem Garkill is heading to Netflix on March 1st, which is a really fantastic anime series and one that I think Stu and you really like. Yeah. Because it's not got any, of the, it's not got many of the usual things which hamper anime for like people who aren't overly used to it, where it's not a lot of young boys going ah <laughs> and being really angsty about stuff. It's it's kind of like Game of Thrones where characters can just randomly die, so you get attached to characters and they suddenly snuff. What's it. this called again? It's called Akeem Garkil. Ah. Um, basically, this uh, young boy heads to the city um, and uh, discovers there's uh, this evil government officials plot and joins a team of assassins to uh, strike back. It's uh, really, really cool. All right. I think you'd like All it. All right. Maybe I'm sold. Who knows? <laughs> it's on Netflix, so you don't even have to buy anything else. I already have Netflix. This is a possibility. However, and I have I have got a New Year's resolution to watch one series of some anime this year. Maybe this is the one. So that would that would that would make me so happy <laughs> if you if you took one of my recommendations for anime and watched it. It's not like I'm asking you to watch 225 episodes of Dragon Ball. No, it's not like I'm asking you to watch the 1,000 plus episodes of One Piece. So. No, I have bought. I think I told you the Cowboy Bebop or Cowboy Bebop set. That, oh, that's a good one that as was, well. That's a really easy one to watch. Was, um, I think it was in CX or something like that. I refuse yeah. to call it sex. Um, uh, but it's sat up there on my to-watch pile. I'll get round to it. But, yeah, I mean, if it's on Netflix, that, that just makes the binge-watching so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, 
And speaking of obviously binge-watching, the Korean Film Archive have on their YouTube channel released over 400 films for you to uh, have a route through. We've actually had some recommendations come through on our Facebook group, uh, which is obviously the best way to, if you want to get involved with the show, come and join us on the Facebook group. It's such a a fun group atmosphere that we've got happening over there compared to the pay-to-play atmosphere that Twitter seems to have. So, uh, But, you know, if you uh, want to check us out, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter at AC Film Club, we're on Instagram, um, and you can obviously also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com as well. Um, so plenty of ways to obviously come and let us know what you think of anything that we discussed in the show or anything you want to recommend us. And uh, since the last episode as well, we have to, uh, we've got a bit of an announcement. The fact that we are now officially part of the LAM, the large association of movie bloggers, as we join their herd as number 100, sorry, 1,978. So if we were on the prisoner, we would be a little far down the chain. <laughs> but we'll drag our way up. We'll drag our way up. So, um, but yeah, it's great to you know be part of such a great collective, and uh, I'm we're, we're just happy to obviously be uh, be part of them and and help building on the community atmosphere, which is obviously what we like to do here on the show. Um, we also uh, got another. After receiving British Podcast of the Week from Film Stories, uh, we have also received another glowing uh, what's the word review uh, from uh, Fiend on Film, who um, sir, gave us a, a shout-out saying, all fans of film should follow the Asian Cinema Film Club. You'll be glad that you did. So thank you very much to them. And, you know, we're on our way up, Stephen. You know, as long as it's showing that... in listens, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, promotion with me Grundies.com is just round the corner I can feel it now <laughs> we'll, we'll, soon ha- we'll soon be advertising Beds and, and a meal Sent to your house and like all those Successful podcasts Yeah Hold ridiculous Patreon prices for <laughs> Scantillating Snapshots of yourself Yeah that, again, so. again things that aren't going to happen Fine. <laughs> 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 But yes, yes, no, no. But it's really, it's really nice to see the, you know, the hard work that you put in and I assist with sometimes, um, being recognised by, by our peers. Yeah, that's um, that's the thing. That's what, what means the most is just to be recognised by our peers and just have people who like Asian cinema just, you know, like what we're doing and not. You know, bombarding us with emails telling us how much we suck. Yeah, and, and <laughs> which is and what... and like you say in the face group, face group, Facebook group. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'm old enough to use Facebook. I'm probably too old to use Instagram. But um, <laughs> the Facebook group, you know, we get asked, you know, people ask us questions, ask us opinion, push it, you know, people asking us when are we going to cover this, when are we going to cover that. So it's really nice. It's, 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 it's a thriving community, and you think how far we've come since that first episode mate definitely so and um as always i'd like to thank you you know thank you everyone who who listens who subscribes and uh who tells other people about the show it's all really appreciated and and uh, we do appreciate you obviously coming to uh check out these episodes so um but no i think third between third window films and arrow they're just determined to have all our money i mean third window films not only announced violence voyager they've also announced uh hanagatami which is from the uh, director of hazu which i think was basically all that they had to tell us 
I think so. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> just to it'd be like have our interest. Um, they've also announced that they're going to be releasing Melaconic as well, um, which is one that I've not heard of. But the trailer looked really interesting about dark, se- dark secrets happening at a bathhouse. So I'm really. I think they're free for free now with what they're announced and uh, what what we're obviously excited about. So yeah, I mean, we said window have always been. Um... On the quirky side of things, haven't they? Um, so I don't, I don't. Arrow, I'm usually a straight to buy unless it's 150 quid. But um, uh, third window, I'm a, bit, a little more picky. But what they do do is they do. Um, they are probably the only people pushing modern Japanese cinema now. Um, you know, if it's not Takashi Mikey or um, Sion Sono. No one else seems interested, whereas Third Window do keep pushing through these interesting, quirky, independent new new people from Japan. So uh, they're kind of important, and we we should support them. Oh, definitely. So, and I think the the main labels at the moment, because obviously it used to, as I said back in the day, it used to be Thailand was the label that we we're excited about. Now, the three that I'm always sort of checking out is obviously Arrow, uh, Third Window Films, and Terracotta. Um, those being my free sort of go-to labels, and not at the sort of extent where I buy sort of everything that comes through, but I'm always very excited to see what they have coming out. And um, 88 Films again will be another one that, that's, uh, that's true. worth I checking mean, out as well. I mean, Third Window and Terracotta are the same now, aren't they? One, one bought the other. Um, I believe that they're all pa- both are powered through. Arrow. Oh, they are. So, so it's so like it's this. All the same. It's just another. It's like the super science <laughs> team that they got happening over there. With just awesome uh, releases. They're just. Um, I remember like a, a year or so ago they they put out an email saying that you know we're going to be powered for Amazon for Arrow, which I think is great. I mean, um, whatever they need to, whatever needs to be done just to keep interesting releases coming out. And I'm hoping, as we were talking about on like Instagram and the Facebook page, that with Parasite winning the Best Picture Award, they only sort of opens the door further to increase the amount of titles that are coming across and just the variety of titles that are coming across because I know that there's obviously been those uh, memes floating around that suddenly everyone's into Korean cinema now that Parasite won the best picture mm. Oscar but um, I think we since the sort of early 2000 as, they were, as we say time and time again when we had the revolution pitch so we had like Battle Royale and The Ring and Audition and we've not seen that sort of drop off that we keep expecting to happen. It, we seem to be adding more countries to what we class as Asian cinema now, which is only excite more exciting. And the fact that, um, we now have a Korean film win best picture. I, d- I just really hope that it just continues to, if not increase the flow, just to further sort of boost the flow of films that come in through and, um, just, just have some more, more new directors to discover really see what else has we've been missing. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, you know, we 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 both know, and we've talked about this at length. That that the directors from the neck of the woods we're interested in have become pretty stale, really. And <laughs> not not the directors themselves, but the the breadth of it. You know, like I say, it's Mike, yeah. it's Sono, it's Park, it's um, it was not even Bong, really. You know, it's it's like those 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 three. All their films get released. Everyone else, it's a bit of a bit of a crapshoot and you're off to yes asia but then it's all a bit of a risk because you don't know if it's gonna have the subtitles or subtitles are going to be in some random language which a lot of the hong (laughs) kong ones are that still happens um 
and you need a multi-region DVD. You know, all these things, you know, make make it harder to follow. So uh, I'm hoping this, the success Parasite is going to lead to something and more than just Snowpiercer being shown at the Prince Charles Cinema. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and it's, it's interesting when you look at, like, even, like, the films which are coming out in the in the West and just the influence they're taking. Like, since we saw the release of The Raid and... Um, those those sort of movies that sort of ultra violent sort of kung fu movies, and we look at like the John Wick movies, and you like see the guys from the raids like turning up in like sort of cameo sort of uh, or supporting sort of roles, and just the fighting style is now being mirrored to match that sort of same brutal sort of fighting style. When we see like John Wick like beating some guy to death over a book and doing like knife play and. It's just uh, it's just really interesting to see what's being uh, filtered across, and of course, it would just happen to be ultra violent kung fu. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we know that film directors and filmmakers are are have their eye on on Asian cinema. Always have done, you know. Kurosawa, we've, again, we've talked multiple times how he influenced the West, and indeed how the West influenced him. So you know, they, they, yeah. these guys have been, um, you know, Tarantino's a, a student of. Hong Kong B movies, you know, it's uh, these the, the the these these guys are taking and bringing stuff, but it's nice to see the real thing, um, where the influences are, because sometimes, as hopefully you and I are showing, sometimes they're at the cutting edge. Yeah, it's um, it's this exciting times. So I'm just uh, yeah, I'm just always hoping that, and I'm hoping that just um, especially for like region two releases that. Because before we've had a lot of issues with stuff to be released to Region 1, I'm hoping, as I said, if anything, that it just helps promote the more titles to come to Region 2. That uh, And certainly with like the release of the Gamma set, Arrow said that this isn't the only Kaiju title they have in the works. They have got other ones in the works as well, so it's going to be really exciting to see what else they bring across. Hopefully, someone is going to sort out these Ultraman titles as well, because they're still Region 1 and they keep advertising on my feed, and it's really annoying. <laughs> It's like, and you like go on Amazon and it's like, oh, buy Ultra Q, only 25 quid. And it's like, wow, that's really great. And it's like, yeah, region one. <laughs> and it's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I'm all right. I've got a, region, a multi-region DVD player, but I've actually invested quite heavily in Blu-ray. And multi-region Blu-rays are much rarer. <laughs> so, uh, and also the whole media is much more expensive. And quite often, there's no point to it because there's no extra features on them or anything like that. And my eyes aren't that good to tell the difference between a DVD and a Blu-ray, frankly. I think that DVD is much more forgiving format, especially for older cinema. Because when you clean up a film to a point, you start realising all the flaws that were like the fuzz of VHS and and to an extent DVD um, sort of covered for. So sometimes better is not always best. Indeed. Okay, it's time now for our feature presentation. Mother from 2009, directed by Man of the Moment, Bong Joon-ho. Um, this is Stephen was obviously your pick. Guilty. Um, yeah, the film itself it uh, follows a widow who lives in a quiet little town with her mentally challenged son, who finds her life thrown into a tailspin when a young girl is brutally murdered and her son is considered the prime suspect. At the same time, the legal system failing her, she decides to investigate herself in an attempt to clear her son's name. This is an early film from Bong Joon-ho, and it's a film which I know Stephen really liked, and hence why he brought it to the show. This was 
um, at the same time was the first watch for myself. Um, and I think when it we as we were talking before about directors who worked on immediately jump out of us as like oh I must watch everything by this director and Bong Joon-ho is certainly one of those directors who while I've seen films of his that I really love I feel that after I got burned by the host which everybody loved but I just I just couldn't uh, see the appeal and everyone kept telling me like oh you love the host it's you know it's like a kaiju movie it's a monster movie and stuff and I watched it and I was like I just do not get the appeal of this film and since then I've sort of been really wary about watching any of his films and it's it's kind of a shame because I really love Snowpiercer and Stephen you're gonna be happy to know I really like this film Thank as well for that you have me on edge there <laughs> so it's so it's interesting that you say you don't like the host because I, I can yeah. dig that. I can understand. It's not, it's not my favourite film of his, but I can see why you don't like it. Because it's not really a monster movie. I would say all his films, and I'm, uh, most obviously, I guess, Snowpiercer, but are about class and are about the haves and the have-nots. That's absolutely what... Um, if It's not directly what it's about that that that's what's informing the film that's absolutely what parasites about it's literally what Snowpiercer's is about <laughs> you know you go through a train and people get richer as you go further up it some of his earlier films um memories of murder the host to a degree you know it's it's about about poor people and rich people and how the poor people get screwed over by the rich people so that's his that's his thing and i do think a mother is the film where he cracks it the best and manages to do the whole social commentary whilst having a really interesting story which isn't littered with his worst habit. And his worst habit is introducing things for colour <laughs> but you know <laughs> that, that, that never go anywhere. Parasite is full of them. And you could say, ah, he's world building and things like that. But actually I find it frustrating. Um, I'll give you an example from Parasite, and this is from the beginning of the film, and I think anyone who's going to have seen it would have seen it, other than you, Elwood, right? Um, I think everyone else has seen it, yeah. but me. I, keep, I mean, even Zoe over in Zobo Shotgun <laughs> has been sharing her thoughts, and she's like, just, you know, she's the Duchess of Dark Cinema, yet she's off watching this uh, this film, which I supposed to have seen by now. Bits of Parasite are quite dark. Any, anyway, there's there's a bit at the beginning. The, 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 the young male lead meets his friend who sets him up with the job which gets him into the rich people's house. And basically, he's, the, the rich friend says, oh, I really like the young girl there. When she's of age, I'm going to ask her to be my girlfriend. All right? And I'm choosing you to become her tutor because I trust you not to do anything about it. So firstly... This 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 other kid is never mentioned again. Secondly, within ten minutes of him meeting the girl, our hero is having an affair with her and and, and done everything that he said he wouldn't do, and nothing comes of either thing. Yet these are <laughs> these you know these 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 are roles and characters and storylines and it just doesn't go there. Now you could say, oh, that's really clever. You know, he's um he's leading you down a, a red herring and things like that but i just think his films are full of this crap sometimes whereas whereas mother i feel there's a little bit of it going on but yeah. the real driving force of mother is the two fantastic performances the storyline and the payoff 
and I think he gets all three of those things absolutely nails it in this film um but I do think it's of his films it's the one people have forgotten about which is why I'm always trying to you know wave, wave the flag for it because I think it's um I think it's his his best film um and the fact that, that there's you know there's two fantastic performances in it as well um mean that they may be overshadow some of his flaws i can't believe i'm slagging off oscar winner <laughs> oscar winning director but i do feel i do feel compared to his contemporaries he has some flaws but on the other hand absolutely this is in his, this is his mo this is his thing this is his bag this is um you know this is a social a drama concerned with um social issues where he's layered another film on top yeah, certainly. I mean, when we look at the trademarks of a Bong Joon-ho film, obviously you said already about the social themes there, the the class divides especially being a keen one. At the same time, he likes to mix up his genres. There's elements of black humour, which again we see throughout this film, and also the sudden mood shifts, which is something this film does exceptionally well. Um, really, at times, making me... I would often get like, think oh it's this sort of film and then he would suddenly change the tone of me but at the same time never lose me in the the story that's being told which is never no easy feat if you're going to suddenly start start playing around with the tone of the the film and there's very few directors who can actually do do it much less do it well I mean, yeah i mean let's let's not get this wrong this is a pretty dark story <laughs> there's there's a murder there's um a mentally ill boy there's there's um poverty there's uh, our heroine literally frames someone else for a murder. I mean, there's some dark stuff going on here. But at the same time, there are moments of delightful comedy all the way through it. Um, and he does, he just gets that balance right. Because um, we're quite used to genre shift in Korean films, um, usually like that, that that abrupt 180 they often do halfway through. <laughs> Where this is, this is, but this is a little more clever and this is a little more uh, you know could very easily be very tonally imbalanced you say I can't laugh at this this is terrible but he, he just judges it right and I think the master stroke was the casting of um, Kim Haija who as, as, as the unnamed mother is just astonishing definitely so and she's such an expression of actors which is something I'm not particularly used to, especially in Nation Cinema. Um, she's so much of her performances delivered in her facial expressions throughout the film, and she's got such warmth, but at the same time, she has a very convincing, darker side to her. And she, I was completely brought in by this this story of uh, a mother who wants to free her, her mentally ill child who's obviously being set up for this murder that she feels that he he there's no way he could possibly have committed it and how she goes she starts off obviously trying to get help for the legal system and basically the lawyers are just there taking her money and giving her the run around and saying you know just saying that things have to go to run their course and then she obviously goes out and she does like the amateur detective thing where she's going out and she's Going out into sort of like the big bad city of this world and and meeting these questionable people, she tries to get find out the secret behind this girl who's murdered, and who potentially could have murdered her, and uh, it's quite the the it's almost um, 
well the film certainly doesn't go as dark as it possibly does i mean this isn't um like um oh is it world of um kanako <laughs> yeah i mean it's certainly not going as dark as world of kanako we're not going turned into some like seedy underbelly that that film went into but it certainly goes like just under the surface of like day-to-day life to uncover this sort of sleazy underbelly of the city that's happening um which she sort of gets exposed to and I think the fact that she's just so naive to the world around her because she just lives this life in a quiet little village and she's not really used to the modern world as such. Like She's fascinated by these two girls and the gadgets that they have on their phone and the idea of what a secret uh, camera is and how camera phones work. All these little modern day accessories and stuff just sort of fascinate her. And the fact that she just somehow manages to forest gump her way through this investigation is just absolutely fascinating to watch and at the same time bizarrely believable which I wasn't expecting to find I thought that there'd be all these great leaps but it never feels like he's making great leaps with what this character does um, over the course of her investigation yeah I mean the, the other thing is of course I say of course so I guess this is this is this is some context now is that um, Kim Hyjar is not a film actress at all um, she's a TV actress um and she's basically known or was known at the time as um you know like how south koreans like to give famous people these sort of nicknames these epithets um she's known as as korea's mum um she <laughs> she she's starred in dramas and comedy sitcoms and all sorts and and she's she's most famous for being the mum i was trying to think of a western equivalent um oh yeah i could go, go on there william b davis yeah um he played um nothing but like you know the the grandfather and the friendly uncle roles in like tv dramas and then he goes in the x-files and plays like cigarette smoking man, yeah like the most <laughs> evil person in the conspiracy that that, that that kind of thing i mean but but she she's absolutely loved and adored i'd say between her and um there's a lady called yoon yu young who you will have seen in every korean film as the mum <laughs> the, pa- the pair of them have got that sewn up but but um yoon tends to appear in film and um kim tends to appear in tv and by all accounts um director bong had written this film specifically for her and um she turned him down numerous times saying she's not a film actress she couldn't carry a, a feature film and he just kept badgering her and badgering her. She said, "Yes, all right, we'll do it then." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the 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 depth, the complexity, the way that you empathise with her and and feel sorry for her many times, and then she does something a bit like, "Oh dear, um, should I be on your side anymore?" But what you get from her is this incredible love for her son that she'll do anything for him um even when we find out and you know we're gonna spoil it now but you know we find out that <laughs> she tried to kill him and herself uh, early in his life when she realized that he was sort of mentally restricted i don't know what the current nice phrase to say is but uh He's mentally handicapped. Mentally handicapped, that's right. Um, which is, again, that's something absolutely which we don't see in Korean films. Or, if, uh, you know, in Hong Kong films, they're objects of comedy. Um, Korea, Korea itself doesn't deal well with 
mental illness or mental handicaps um so it's really amazing to see that role we'll talk about that in a minute but you know this, this woman she went to the depths she tried to kill them both she didn't and now she just lives for her son we know nothing about the father we know we know we know so little about these two but what we do know is that she loves her son and she will do anything for him which is again as a very um it's a very korean thing a very asian thing although usually you see it twisted the other way where where the son is a filial son and he'll do anything for his mother you know that's it's kind of turning it on its top but yeah she's 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 fantastic in it and um hasn't gone and ruined it all by being in a bunch of other films either this is this is this is her film and uh fair play to her. i think she won a bunch of awards for it to be fair but uh, she's magnificent but then what I also have to draw attention to is our old friend Won Bim, who, could you think of a role any more different than the man from nowhere? <laughs> it is certainly quite a change. I mean, he's not only been in the man from nowhere, which we obviously discussed on the show, he's also was in Brotherhood, mm-hmm. which my money is like the Saving Private Ryan beta. Uh, when people talk about like the quintessential war movie, and they always go, oh, Saving Private Ryan is this fantastic film. I say, no, watch Brotherhood. Brotherhood is beyond what Saving Private Ryan wishes it was. I mean, Saving Private Ryan has got their D-Day sequence, and it's just pretty much a generic war movie. Brotherhood is just an emotional experience, and one that I really going to want to bring to the show once we get to an episode to give it enough significance for how important a film that is to myself. So, yeah, But yeah, this is certainly a real transition for what we've seen him in previously as I said but I mean he's here convincingly playing um, a mentally handicapped boy who's he's fun- he's functional but at the same time he's very sort of naive about the world he's very sort of we see him constantly led astray in particular by um, Jingu's sort of best friend or so, uh, so to speak Jin Tai who we see at the start um, encouraging him to go and kick the wingmill for Mercedes-Benz and D even like sets up uh, one Bin's character to sort of like take the rap for this this damage even though he's sort of like the instigator and all the uh, the hassles here. Um, I mean, again, another really complex character. We first meet him, he's a dick. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's set up his so-called friend to take that take the fall and and the financial burden of their action falls on the mother and then we see that maybe he's not a really nice person and we're confused when she sets him up to take the fall for her son um but he gets away with that and then becomes her ally and basically becomes her her muscle doesn't he <laughs> for, for 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 a later bit of the story so again this this could have been a very one note character he could have just have been the dick and you know and, and that would have been the end of it but in the end i think we're on his side i'm not sure about yourself but certainly i did feel that he doesn't really get absolution for his actions but he gains our respect maybe for helping I'm sort of, I'm sort of out on um, on what to feel about Jinte. I mean, obviously he's initially sort of set up as being the one that you believe is init- is responsible for the murder, and certainly it's like uh, the obvious sort of red herrings are there. We've obviously got like incriminating evidence against him, and there's a wonderful sequence where we, where we obviously see Mother sneaking around his shack 
or apartment, whatever you want to call it. And um, he's having this weird sex scene where um, him and this girl he's with are just saying the most random things to each other. And I don't know if they just couldn't figure out how to translate it. They just sort of made it up or whether this was actually... There was something deeper happening here, but it's completely lost me what was supposed to be going on in that sequence. But yeah, you're right. He he ultimately becomes the muscle, but it's not after we see him like extorting all this money for mother, and you feel that God, she's just like constantly paying out for either mm. things her son's been accused for, or now to this thug who ultimately gets some sort of redemption in the fact that he he becomes the the heavy for her and helps certainly with the interrogation of these two boys who may like have this key evidence of sort of the background of this young girl that was murdered i mean he is the one that twigs what's wrong with the quiet crime scene as well he's the one who says you know it's really don't you think it's really odd that the way she was displayed <laughs> almost <laughs> as if someone wanted to show what had happened you know when you when you you know he's the one who says when you when you kill someone you don't go and display it up on top of a roof of an abandoned building you go and bury the body yeah. or something like that. He, and he's the only one who makes that that leap so he's a he could have been a throwaway character and absolutely he's absolutely critical to the plot and you say that that whole sort of sequence there where he's he's like questioning the crime scene and i thought that just makes him more likely to be the killer it's sort of like oh look i'm not getting enough recognition mm. for my my crime here let me explain like why this is significant, why I displayed the body uh, the way I did. Yeah. And that's what it sort of felt like. And certainly his whole demeanour gives the indication of someone who's slightly unhinged. But I have to say the interrogate the sort of makeshift interrogation sequence has that absolutely brutal kick to the face which had me wincing a fair bit. Yeah, I mean this is not a this is not an easy watch. I mean it's it's um it's it's not as bad as the sort of the second half as of um, sympathy for Lady Vengeance, for example, which goes to some pretty dark places. But um, this is not a film about a little old lady running around trying to Miss Marple her way to uh, solving a crime. This is uh, this is at times a very gritty and physical film. Um, obviously, little old ladies can't go kicking people in the face, can they? So they have to get the heavies in. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is another thing that I love about the film. We're watching an evolution of a character, someone who's initially sort of seen as this downtrodden person. She's constantly exploited by other characters. And we see over the course of the, the film how she slowly reveals probably what's been like her true self that she sort of hides beneath this quiet little demeanour. Um, you know, the doting mother sort of persona that she puts on. And I, I like to feel that as she goes sort of deeper into investigation and and ultimately uh, hits that sort of like that that crossroads uh, moment uh, towards the end where t- where she sort of like uh, sort of reveals her true self mm. i like to think that that's what we're slowly sort of seeing her peel back the layers so like when we see her sort of smoking the cigarette and doing the interrogation sequence in the ferris wheel that you know this is more who mother really is and and that she's sort of just been building this persona over these years as uh, a way to protect her son. And, and 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 then that leads on to the murder that she commits later on. You know, this 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 she's gone from this little old lady and she's put upon by the rich person and, and she's an illegal acupuncturist and she gets caught and she's she's you know, she's in debt for loads of money and oh isn't it sad that she's got this mentally handicapped son and then sl- slowly but slowly but slowly we see God, she's a hard bitch. <laughs> and, and 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 until, you know, and, and even when 
even when the final realisation comes that her quest, as in all good noir films, I think, her quest has um, been looking in the wrong place and um, her her investigation is going to lead her somewhere where she really doesn't want to be. Um, she's got the conviction to carry it through, hasn't she? I think when we get to the end of the film, and I mean, you mentioned already about the earlier attempt that she she made to kill both um, her son and herself. Um, I I thought that that was what was going to be revis- revisited at the end of the film, which ultimately doesn't happen, because I thought that uh, the the cost of what she's had to sort of do to get her son to sort of like. Um, to get her son out of out of prison, I thought that that was going to be like the ultimate sort of uh, payoff is the fact that she's with having to like face up to what she's had to go through and what she's had to do. That you know, that was be how we'd end the film. But instead, we ended with her doing some rather random dancing on a bus. Well, so I think that <laughs> so I had, I had to do some reading around this. So <laughs> do you remember? So because. What she does in the end is that she, she, another person takes the fall for it, and that person who takes the fall for the crime is very similar to her son. And but her, that son hasn't got a mother, as she cries out. And and basically what we see is later on, everything's been resolved. Um, uh, we maybe find out that uh, Do Yoon is maybe a bit smarter about certain things than. Than he's been letting on, or when he when and there are he has moments of clarity, and he gives her back her acupuncture set. So when she's on the bus, she's giving herself acupuncture to forget all the pain she's in. And when she's dancing, yeah. that's that's her relaxing, that's her releasing all her pain. That's a that's a that's a, an image of what's going on in her mind when she uses the acupuncture. I believe because <laughs> the film starts that way as well, doesn't it? So. Um, which is a bit bit weird to start with, and you think, what the hell is this going to be about? But uh, it pays off in the end. Definitely so. Um, the film itself did make a number of best of lists of 2010 when the film was released, including Slant, The AV Club, and Cashiers to Cinema. And the film also received a black and white version. Did it really? Sure I didn't it, know that. It oh, did. God. It received a black and white version in 2013, which I'm sure, after your comments on the noir version for uh, Parasite... Well, actually, all right. So, a black and white version of a noir film, which this is, this is this is a yeah. noir film in terms of its stylings and its storyline. I don't think colour and the difference between colours is very important in this film. I think it would look fantastic as a noir film, actually. I think it would make some scenes like um, the scenes with the junk collector in his in his, in his um, home, he says, bunny-earing around it, and, 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 and that, that, that shadow of, shadowy world between light and dark, which is what noir films are about. I think that would be a perfect fit. In Parasite, it's a film about the haves and the haves-nots and, 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 and the colour. I can't... Yeah. When you see it, you'll know exactly what I mean. <laughs> but, yeah. but there is no way that the, that the, that the, the, the climax of um, the climactic scene at the, uh, near the end of Parasite works if it's in black and white. And I'll, I'll hold my hold that, that line for long. But yes, yeah, so a noir version of this, I, I'd, I'd be quite interested in seeing that, actually. You know what version I'd like to see of this? If it starts in colour 
And the the darker and more into investigation she gets, the more the color drains yeah, out. Like 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 um, sympathy for Lady Vengeance was going to be originally, that kind of that kind of thing. As 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 the mood gets darker, as things get well more black and white. <laughs> yeah. um, it, I think I think that would work really well. So the closer you get to the the truth, that's the the more sort of um, black and white will will become. Mm. So we slowly eliminate and just have like certain objects and um, sort of in color, much like um, I want to say Rumblefish mm. and Sin City did, where like certain things are highlighted in color and the rest of it's all, all black and white. I think that'd be really cool. I, so. I think it would be as long as it didn't take away from that central performance. If the, as, as long as the style and the clever shit didn't take away from effectively, this is a film. This is one woman's film. I mean, one bin's fantastic, but. She makes this for Kim Hyjar is is just astonishing. So as long as you didn't do anything which took away from that performance, I'd I'd I'd, I'd be in for that. Anything else you want to? Not really. I'm just delighted about. you liked it. <laughs> I feel I feel um quite often when I select a film, unless I deliberately choose something which I know you're going to like, um, I I, I am really put. Oh no, you you sometimes you surprise me, but I, I'm I'm usually pretty sure. You're going to like this or not like this. Um, I hoped you'd like this one. I will. I. I. Um, but I am delighted that you did, because I, like I say, I've been going on about this film now for eleven years <laughs> or ten years, probably since I saw it first. Time. Yeah. And it's always the one people forget every time they talk about Bong Joon Ho, and they put the films that you're famous for in brackets afterwards. They always say Snowpiercer, Memories of Murder, and um, The Host, and I just think this is this is superior. I mean, I, I know you're not saying it's your favourite Bong Joon Ho film, but you know, I, I think it's absolutely worthy and should get far more um, acknowledgement. And I and I hope that the Oscar success means that uh, maybe we get. I mean, it is out on it. There is a UK DVD of it, so there's a start. So <laughs> uh, it's also on film four. Yeah. So yes. if you're in the UK, then you're sorted. Yeah. So um, absolutely. So I'm del- I'm delighted you liked it. So. My first win of the year, I think. <laughs> I'm just going back over what we've watched already this year. And... No, I think we're all good still. <laughs> um, but no, you say that, you say that, but it's, as I say, it's always like a, a real crapshoot either way, no matter who oh, shoots the film. I think that was always the thing when we when we came to, to do the show and we were doing alternating picks because we're both coming from both different sides of... Asian cinema appreciation. Obviously, I'm sort of come up for like you know cult cinema, kaiju and kung fu and heroic gunplay, uh, heroic bloodshed movies. And yourself came through, like you know thoughtful and artistic. Well, side well of both art too. house and other sorts of commercial films. So I come from romantic comedies and 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 things like that, as as well as the yeah. art house. So yeah, no, absolutely. But that that must make it interesting. I think that's part of the dynamic of the show. I have one more thing. Yes. I have met somebody who is in this film <laughs> and I don't often get to say this but I have met Yoon Ji Moon who is the detective um, I met him I had to interview him for a, uh, a film called Boomerang Family a few years later and oh, yeah. um, I interviewed him I interviewed the other uh, Yoon the other mother that I was talking about and, and someone else who I can't even remember who was there now but basically the two people I wanted to see from that film weren't there. Anyway, one thing I can tell you about him is he's absolutely massive. He's built like a 
heavyweight boxer he doesn't look like it in this film and doesn't speak a jot of english and stood there sat there in passive staring at me for about 15 minutes as i interviewed him <laughs> i was terrified whereas, whereas the, luckily the others were much more chatty but yeah i've i've I finally thought, ah, I've met him. I've shaken his hand, <laughs> and I don't. And it's taken me forty-four episodes to say that. <laughs> nice. Um, he's also in the Drug King, which uh, is a film which I keep getting told is coming to Netflix, but I've yet to see it filter across. He's, so. he's, he's in a ton of films. He's he's um. He's, oh yeah, he's in like Chore as he well. Is, he's in um. He's he's one of those sort of the, the, there are there are core ten fifteen Korean actors who seem to be in pretty much everything, and um, yeah. yeah he's he, he's he's a he's in he's in as well actually, but um, mm. I never film I've yet to it's see. Just, it's just the fact that he just sat there impassive for fifteen minutes while I asked questions and <laughs> didn't say a word. Maybe he was being polite and just like letting you finish your questions. He uh, thought well, no one wanted to interrupt you when you were and, and his physicality was a lot different to how he appears in this film. <laughs> the fact he's like kind of the nice cop <coughs> is an irony somewhat lost on not not lost on me. Okay, doesn't you just reminded me of a scene that in the film I really wanted to discuss with you. Um, when he's the son's obviously been interrogated by the cops, you see one of the detectives puts an apple in his mouth and then punches it. Um, what was this about? Because I thought this was like them trying to take like a, a sneaky sort of like bite pattern or something or DNA or something like that. But it just seemed like some bizarre interrogation technique. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think, I think it's, I think there is something there. I, I think there was something about a bite pattern, maybe that they were going for. But maybe, but I think the point is, is that the police are freaking useless, and um, maybe. Yeah, we're talking about might might be talking about memories of murder in a couple of minutes when we talk about recommendations. But um, that that's another thing that that director Bong has does does like to do is to show the um, the absolute ineptitude of the uh, local police forces. And I don't know how you become a policeman in Korea, but I imagine you just take an exam and then you are it, and then. That you probably don't get much training and things like that. But yeah, the the. I, I I had assumed there was a bite or something like that involved, but no, it just seems to be a comedy moment. I think, but maybe one of our listeners could tell us where we're wrong because I was as confused as you were because <laughs> it was weird. Into the extent the main guy comes in, yeah, just just stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like a whole crate of yeah. apples, so it wasn't like just like oh I've got this apple, I'm going to do this thing. It's all like he had this whole crate of apples, like. This is my whole afternoon of interrogation with apples. Yeah, um, but maybe it had worked before. I don't know, but um, obviously, it's a lot. if you remember peppermint candy, um, yes, the, the 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 police interrogation. So uh, uh, maybe it's it's going. You know, just feeding well, that's the thing. That in world. peppermint candy, they were like waterboarding. Yeah, and it almost seems like okay, we can't waterboard, we can't use the electrodes, you know, but we got these apples. What can we do with this? <laughs> How do you like them apples? Yeah, uh, I, I have no, I have no idea, mate. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, that's that's the film quote for the day. But um, yeah, I, I have no idea either, and I'd like to know if anyone else does because. I'd kind of written that out as comic relief, but I'm sure there's more to it. 
Um, further viewing, what do you pair with a film like Mother? What do you What do you do with a film like Mother? Um, so I've chosen two films. One pretty obvious, and one really kind of tenuous. <laughs> but okay. but both films I really really love. So the the other film which I adore of Bong's is Memories of Murder. Um, yep. which is a drama once again set back in it's set in um set in sort of rural poor korea um it's based on a true story of sort of korea's first serial killer it's got um an early performance by the always fantastic uh, song kang ho who we saw in thirst and i'm sure we've seen in other films as well um and although it is a police procedural, it's more about how freaking useless the police are <laughs> than 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 a, a straight up yeah like I said like a straight up serial killer film. Um, fantastic cast, fantastic look, just a really really enjoyable movie um was my favorite bong film for a long time until until i came across mother um so i think that's that, that's that's maybe the the obvious one yeah another bong film um a little more tenuous is um do you know that sometimes bong is an actor and uh he has a cameo role in one of my favorite south korean films um which is um, Crush and Blush by director Lee Kyung-mi, um, which has got so many connections to what I love about Korean cinema. So director Lee Kyung-mi, she's only made two or three films. This was her first film. Um, it's a sort of hilarious comedy drama. Um, but it's also got the fabulous Gong Hyo-jin, who's one of Korea's finest actresses, in a really unflattering role. Basically, she's a little fat thing who goes bright red when she gets embarrassed, um, <laughs> which is a very unusual um, trope for a Korean film. Usually, they're all incredibly gorgeous, and you know, and they, they, this 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 goes exactly the opposite way. Bong Joon-ho has a small cameo as a teacher, and also it was produced by Park Chan-wook. It's got everything in it, so it's totally different tonally, totally different mood, but you can do a six degrees of separation to it. So I'd really, I'd really um, recommend that. How about yourself, sir? I've got a couple of ones. Obviously, my mind uh, was trying to think of like. Uh amateur sort of detectives and I mean obviously when I came to think of this obviously your mind instantly goes to Park Chan-wook's Avengers trilogy and I'm trying to make a rule not to just recommend that with everything as much as it goes to but I mean yes you could obviously look at Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and certainly Lady Vengeance as well two films which would go really well with this but a little more off the beaten track um, I would recommend for 2007 Our Town uh, which is a film in which an aspiring crime novelist who is prone to sort of violent daydreams murders his landlady in a fit of rage and reconstructs the crime scene so it looks like a it's been carried out by this murderer that's uh, currently on the loose at the moment at the same time helping his childhood friend turn detective who's trying to track down the real serial killer in the attempt to basically throw the police off his scent um 
the other film that I would uh, recommend, which I really enjoyed, but I don't think it's sort of across the board people like this one, and that's Spider Forest from 2004, um, in which uh, this TV producer wakes up in Spider Forest, so the, the title of Forest of the film, um, to discover his girlfriend has been slowly dying, and there's a brutally murdered body in a cabin in in the uh, woods, and that. It's uh, basically about him trying to figure out what exactly uh, went down. And I really enjoyed it. I remember seeing it quite a while ago when it sort of first came out. And it was like one of the few Asian films that Blockbuster had at the time. And it was basically good. I'd Blockbuster invent anything Asian cinema related. And this was one of the films that they had. So um, I enjoyed it. But at the same time, it's one that's not really across the board. So maybe one to approach more with caution. But um, those are certainly the two that I would put with this one. Uh, obviously, with our town it does have share an actor in myong shin park who's obviously both in mother and uh in in that film as well so i've, I've never seen spider forest I, i've never even heard of it before and i thought i knew all my south korean horrors so <laughs> thank you so i'm gonna go and check that one out so that brings us to the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Thank you as always for listening, and please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us, be it you know, Spotify or Podomatic or Anchor or iTunes. Um, it really helps raise the profile of the show. But it's like leaving us a review. Let us know uh, what you think of the show, and certainly you know, let your friends know, spam your enemies, and uh, help us spread the word of the show. It really appreciates everything that... Uh, you guys who have been done to help promote the show out there and and uh come and join us over on our facebook group we have a really good social atmosphere over there and we share recommendations and various news stories and things and uh, you can also follow us on twitter which is a- at ac film club and we are also on instagram as well um you can also check out the archive in full which is at the blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and on there we've also got uh you know we've got the anime reviews we've got the film vault series by Derry brook on there we've got the mixtape series by um team member steph who's continuing to make ourselves uh feel very old and also raise a really interesting point of the fact that with asian cinema it's one of those few genres of film where fans of asian cinema also tend to get really into asian culture you know compared to like people into german expressionistic cinema who perhaps don't go off and think oh, i must really go and listen to bravian music and hasselhoff and see what else germany has to offer culturally so it's um it's really interesting obviously see the fact that when you enter Asian cinema, it seems to be a culture you would you get into as well. So yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. I mean, even people, um, uh, people who get into anime and manga probably get into Japanese culture in the same way. But yeah. certainly not people who like Japanese music, Japanese, you know, any any collection to music or cinema is always led down that. that down that that anime or that manga route isn't it it's oh i like this song because it was the theme tune to bleach or something like that um they're not going to go off and explore and embed themselves quite like people do with korean cinema and korean culture but again i'd lead you back to what i said at the very beginning (laughs) when i was talking about bong there the korean government try very hard to make this happen and and (laughs) lots of these things are aren't happening by accident and they're quite capable of um using twitter and facebook and crunchyroll and all sorts of places to um make sure that we uh we consume as much korean stuff as possible 
Why do I feel that you're turning into a conspiracy nut now, Stephen? That you're going to be telling us how Teletubbies are trying to steal our minds? It's and not, it's not a conspiracy. <laughs> it certainly feels like when you're like, oh, the Korean government are like doing this. It's like, we're through the looking glass here, people. It's, no, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, that there isn't a conspiracy by the Korean government to turn us all into Koreans, <laughs> which would be a conspiracy. But I think, um, I think they have picked their um, performing arts culture as something to spread across the world, um, along with mobile phones and televisions and things like that. But uh, they're they're ve- they're very good at it, um, better than most other countries. And I think I think that's why. However, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody of you know. I love South Korea. I want to go to South Korea. Um, I love the food. I love the music. I love the films. I love the dramas. You know, I'm I'm, I'm embedded, so I'm. Um, I'm just aware of who's pulling my strings. <laughs> just reminds me of that episode of South Park with Chim Pokemon, which is just like this plot for the Japanese government to take over America. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like that. And, <laughs> and we, we will see. We will see. Well, thank you again for as always listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. And on the next episode, we're not looking at one movie, but two movies, as we've got a double feature for you. And we're going to be looking at a director we've had probably requested more than any other director when we put it out there for you know people to let us know what you went to watch. So I would like to think this is a favourite, or people just been really nihilistic towards us and say just want to really ruin our week by uh, having us watch these films. But we're going to be looking at the cinema Shinsei Tsukamoto as we check out Tetsuro the Iron Man and Tetsuro 2 Body Hammer. But that's uh, obviously going to be on our next show. It's a, it's it's a it's a drill dildo special. Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah we're going to be looking at um, both films because I feel that when we look at uh, Tetsuo and Tetsuo 2 it's kind of like when you compare it to like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 like the sequel feels more like a, a remak- reworking of the, the original film um, and that's why I just really feel that it's, it's going to be fun to look at them both and the fact that Body Hammer never seems to get mentioned as much as the original sort of grimy 60 minute original um i think sort of only the more recent to revisit and see whether it's hold, held up or not so yeah and, and neither of them are that long we could watch them both and still get less than the terrorizers <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's obviously coming up on our next episode um but um until then thank you as always for listening thank you to my co-host steven pleasure as always sir and uh we'll be back next time with our Sakamoto double bill looking at Tetsuo and Tetsuo 2. Until then, good night. Hey! 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 Oh
恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ」